Welcome to Health Talks Now, bringing you the facts you need to keep you and your family well. We're happy you're tuning in today. Baptist Health is committed to providing compassionate, high-quality care that is centered on you. Listen to all of our podcasts to hear from Baptist Health physicians about the latest medical advancements and treatments. And get trusted information on timely health topics from our healthcare professionals. Whether you want to learn more about a specific condition or procedure or find tips for living a healthy lifestyle, Baptist Health is here to help you become a healthier you. Whether it's yourself, your partner, spouse, father, or brother, awareness of men's health issues affect us all. I'm Kendra, and in today's episode, I was joined on the phone with Dr. Eli Pendleton to discuss some pressing topics that impact men throughout the lifespan. You're going to want to listen in and perhaps share this episode with someone you love. Dr. Pendleton unpacks issues that many shy away from, alcohol use, mental health, and erectile dysfunction, to name a few. He's also offering health tips by decade to give you the information you need to stay on top of your health no matter how old you are. Let's get started. Well, hi, Dr. Pendleton. It's a pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you so much for joining me on the phone for this important conversation. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Well, let's just jump right in. Why do men avoid coming to their doctor? And right out of the gate, before we get into specifics, why do men need to take their health seriously? (laughs) Well, I think that men need to take their health seriously because it's the only health they have. I think that it's kind of like anything that you own or anything that you work with regularly that you want to get checked up and you want to make sure everything's running properly and you want to try to avoid any bigger problems in the future. As to why men generally avoid the doctor, I I don't honestly know. I think that it's probably multifactorial. I think that there's a certain stubbornness sometimes that they don't perhaps want to hear what they think they're going to hear or have the ideas that their significant others have been telling them be validated in some way. I also think that there's some intimidation as to exactly what's going to happen and feeling like you're ceding some control. I think that men, the last time they see a doctor often was when they were 18 and getting immunizations prior to going off to college or what have you. Yeah, sure. There's no routine maintenance that is recommended that brings guys in. So they get really out of the habit, whereas women obviously go in for gyne evaluations a little bit more frequently. Yeah. And so they're just used to going to the physician. Makes sense. On average, I read that men live sicker and die younger than American women, and that from nine out of the top 10 causes of death, men actually lead. It's like you said, it all starts with that kind of stigma that men are less likely to go for their routine screenings and exams. So what do men need to know about what they should be looking forward to or what they should be doing? Well, I think that in general... I tell patients all the time, as much as you hate to hear it, good, clean living seems to really be the ticket. Yeah. Watch your weight, watch your diet, watch your alcohol intake, Mm -hmm. keep up with your exercise, that sort of thing. All of those things really pay off in the long run. I think that we all tend to have that period in our 20s where you feel like you're bulletproof and you kind of are, but that doesn't last all that long. And all those decisions can really start to bear fruit, as it were, the kind that you don't want later on down the road. Do you see if there's any stigma with men taking off time from work or being reluctant to come in during their working years? 
yes, is in short. I think that we're slowly moving away from that. I think that there's just like guys have been stubborn and don't want to think that you have to go to the doctor regularly if you don't feel sick. I think that the corporate environment or even just the work environment has had somewhat of a similar attitude for a long time. And there's a more there's more of a recognition these days that if you ignore acute problems, they become chronic problems, yeah. and that's more likely to cut into your productivity and, and all those kinds of things. So you see insurance companies that are partnering with employers to incentivize earlier screenings and that sort of thing. I will say that in the past couple of years, I feel like I've seen far more young men who come in to just establish care. That's encouraging. Yeah, it's very different than it was not all that many years ago and guys coming in and saying, well, I just want to establish a relationship so that then I can make sure that I'm keeping up with my health. And it's really nice to see. There's nothing worse than talking to somebody who's perhaps in their fifties who hasn't taken good care of themselves right. and they want you to make them feel 18 again. And you right. say, well, I'm, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> that, a magician. <laughs> that, yeah. That bus left the bus stop years ago. Yeah. And it's not coming back. I think I want to focus on three main categories in this conversation. One, alcohol, two, weight, and three, aging. But before we get in deep into those, can you tell our listeners just a little bit about you? Sure, of course. I am a family physician. I went to medical school at University of Kentucky. I grew up out in Oregon, more or less. And then at UK, I met and fell in love with a Kentucky woman. And we all know how that ends up. <laughs> Go Cats. Um, so, <laughs> We have lived in Louisville now for about 10 years and just really loved it. And I joined Baptist. I was at the University of Louisville for nine years and joined Baptist back in the fall. And I've really enjoyed the community and the focus on overall health and wellness. Awesome. And I have two kids and two boys, so I'm trying to raise them to be the right kind of Kentucky stubborn. That's right. <laughs> instead of the one that gets in your own way. You got to point that stubbornness in the right direction, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, let's jump straight into a topic that many people avoid, alcohol use. Yes. I know it's linked to the increase of stroke and heart attack, but what else goes on with alcohol? What other diseases does it play a factor in? Yeah, it's a great question. A lot of our culture is based around alcohol, and it's been interesting to see that there are some newer studies showing that millennials and some of the younger generations seem to not be drinking quite as much as mm. the older generations. But we certainly live in a state that does fairly well for itself on yeah. alcohol. So it's yeah. <laughs> so many occasions and events focused around alcohol. Alcohol can really have some kind of insidious health effects. It can raise your blood pressure. It can raise your weight. It can impact your sleep. It can affect the way in which you, I mean, obviously acutely, it can affect your neurologically and over time can have kind of a cumulative effect as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of stigma around admitting that you have had alcohol problems. You might not consider yourself to have an active alcohol problem. Like, well, I don't feel like I drink too much, but you've probably had incidents in your life that you would take back that happened because of alcohol. And it's important just to recognize that it's okay to admit that you're probably overindulging at mm -hmm. times and, and you need to regulate that just like so many other things. Right. So before a listener tunes us out and thinks, this doesn't apply to me, let's get into the reasons we are making this a distinction. Because in addition to being a contributing health factor to a lot of health concerns, would you say that this is underreported by most people? Oh, sure. It's actually interesting. 
I had a discussion with my neighbor about this the other day. My neighbor went to the hospital and they quizzed him on how much he drank. And he yeah. answered very honestly. He said, well, I typically have two cocktails a day. Well, in medical school, granted, it's been a little bit since I've been out of medical school, but in medical school, oftentimes we're taught to go ahead and take whatever answer the patients give you in terms of alcohol use mm -hmm. and maybe double it because it was so chronically underreported. And so this poor guy just got put through the ringer. Now, granted, his two drinks a day is the max. Anything okay. more than that, I always tell people, it's my job to tell you that this is probably doing you more harm than good right? and is really probably a bad habit at this point. Yeah. But he was dead honest in his answer. And everybody, I think that the doctors that were treating him just assumed that it was probably Hold him back, two yeah. times that. Yeah. When I see people, I try to ask them very non-judgmentally. Mm -hmm. and, and then you just say, you know you better than I do, but here's what we know from research. And the most you should drink in a week is kind of 10 to 14 drinks for guys and no more than three or four at a time, because then you really put yourself at risk for those individual alcohol problems and then potentially the cumulative effects over time. Yeah. And so I think dependency is a big concern, right? Because even if you're Absolutely. abiding by those guidelines and not getting drunk per se, a habit right. that's forming can still be alarming. Oh, absolutely. And I think that alcohol is generally a bad coping skill. It certainly may feel like it takes the edge off after a long day, but if that's the crutch that you reach for most frequently, then it's easy to ignore the other impacts of stress in your life. And it can become a maladaptive coping skill where in some it's hurting you more than it's helping you. We'll be right back. When it comes to your health, no topic is off limits. Even when you're outwardly healthy and fit, scheduling regular exams helps us catch problems early to help you stay that way. Find a primary care doctor for awareness, prevention, regular screenings, and referrals. Visit baptisthealth.com slash provider to get started. We're back with Dr. Eli Pendleton to continue the discussion about men's health. That's a good segue into the importance of mental health, stress, and oh, depression. It's easy to make that correlation of alcohol and depression, perhaps debate which came first, but it's a serious concern, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. And it is very interesting when you dig into family history, you are talking to a patient who says that his father drank a fair amount and then you start digging into mental health. Mm -hmm. And most of the time they will say, yeah, I think you probably was anxious or was depressed and was drinking to cover it up. Yeah. And it's very easy to then kind of adopt that same sort of tactic in your own life. Right. It's a depressant. Typically it may make you feel great initially, mm -hmm. but overall it is going to depress your psyche a little bit and can make the depression worse. And obviously if you make bad decisions when you're imbibing, then that doesn't right. tend to help. Yeah. So it can exacerbate those existing oh, mental health issues. I read that men are twice as likely as women to suffer from work-related stress. And I think that makes sense. It was alarming to me that work-related stress at times can cause people to come home and, gosh, I need a drink after this long day. And I think there's a real concern that that work-related stress, kind of the rat race cycle that we're in, can lead to an alcohol dependency. Does that cause you concern? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that I work really hard at talking about it in terms of stress, just like you said. I think that it's far easier to call it stress because it's a less stigmatized term. Yeah, it's more acceptable to be stressed. Necessarily. Yeah, right, because yeah. everybody has stress. Right. And stress can be a good thing, but too much of it over the long term can be a bad thing. Mm -hmm. And 
whether it makes you feel anxious or whether it makes you feel depressed, overall, it's more or less the same thing. So I think talking about that can be really useful and trying to, so you don't think you're depressed, you don't think you're anxious. Mm-hmm. How is your stress impacting your life in ways that you don't like? Yeah. And sometimes that can be a more productive conversation. And like you said, I think that it can sometimes, if you feel like you don't have any other coping skills except a cold beer, then yeah. that's what you reach for. It's a convenient crutch. And yeah. it's one that we all learn in college. And right. Just, sometimes you don't learn other ones. So if somebody's listening to this right now and they think, you know what, that does kind of sound like me. I do come home and I go straight to the fridge and grab a beer and use it to unwind. And that's my relaxing time. What do they need to know? What can they reach for instead? Or how can they kick off that conversation with their doctor? Sure. I think that's a great question. I think that recognizing that you're experiencing stress that is not healthy Mm -hmm. is the first step. And you can even bring it up as that. Say, I feel like the stress of my work is really starting to get to me and I'm worried that it's leading to some bad habits. I think that drinking is one of those things that can feel like a a moral failing sometimes and people don't recognize that it is it is a coping skill. It's sometimes a maladaptive coping skill, but it's a coping skill nonetheless. So I think that we're there to try to help you learn some different coping skills Mm -hmm. so that that's not the only one you rely on. And I think that also just admitting and look I always tell people, you're perfectly welcome to blame anybody else in your life because I don't know anybody else in your yeah. life. Typically. And so if you <laughs> if want that to say your you, wife made yeah. you come here, your partner made you come here, whatever, yeah. that's okay. That's whatever it takes to, to kind of break that ice and understand that I have work-related stress too. Yeah. And I deal with a lot of those things too. And there's there's been more and more, I'll use myself as an example a lot because there's been a lot of focus in medicine about we have been historically stoic about our stress and mm-hmm. how the job can affect us long term. And so we've had to become much more focused on that and mindful of it. I will sometimes just tell people when you're feeling that feeling, try to figure out where that feeling's coming from and why you feel like you need to do what you're going to do. Because a lot of times it, we do these things to avoid uncomfortable feelings. Those are some conversations that a lot of guys have just never had before. But I find that overall, they tend to be far less bad mm-hmm. than they think they're going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, what are you trying to cope with? And let's get to the root of that. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you know, is it, is it that your kids are being jerks, which I get Yeah. That, <laughs> that you feel like life is being unreasonable in some way. I, I get all that. Yeah. And let's talk through it and figure out how we can not let it get in your way. So there's a definite stigma we talked about with alcohol. And I think we're seeing our society start to at least break down the stigma in mental health. Do you see that men are still less likely to seek help with their mental health? Is there still that kind of macho attitude? I think that there can be. I think that it really depends on who you're surrounded by and what kind of conversations you are either a part of or hear in your work life, in your home life, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I I think that a lot of employers are starting to recognize that this is a really important thing. And if we want our workers to be happy and productive, then we need to help them focus on these kinds of things. And so I think that we are, doctors are being prompted to do more mental health screenings with Mm -hmm. the work physicals and all that sort of thing. So I think that it's becoming more frequently encountered in life, which then obviously starts to destigmatize it. Yeah. I think that having 
more people in your life who can talk about these things. Every once in a while, I'll talk to a patient and they say, oh, you know, I feel like my dad needs to have this conversation. And I say, well, so go have it with him. Sometimes it's easier for you to reach out to your friends and family than it is for me because coming in to see me, as we've already discussed, is a little intimidating. Well, let's transition now to healthy weight. This is something that people hear all the time, diet, eat healthy, exercise. So that's ingrained. But what do men need to know about maintaining or getting to a healthy weight that maybe they're not thinking about? Once again, I think that you can oftentimes feel like you're kind of bulletproof and you are at a healthy weight when you're younger without really having to work hard. Mm -hmm. And then weight can start to climb on. Or for a lot of people, they are raised in environments where there is not a focus on health. And so they are raised overweight and they don't ever know any different. And I think that there's a very rough estimate of weight and weight for height that we use called the BMI, the Mm -hmm. body mass index. It's a calculation you can do. You can find the calculation online. It's pretty easy to do. And a healthy BMI is between 18.5 and 24.9. Below that is underweight. Above that is overweight. I think that much like when you live in a state where alcohol use is rampant, it's very easy to underestimate your own use. When you live in a state that is generally overweight, it's very easy to underestimate how overweight you potentially are. And understand that they're broad categories, but... If your BMI is above 25, then you're considered overweight. You probably are carrying around a little more weight than you should be. If your BMI is over 30, then you're technically considered obese. And if it's over 40, then you're technically considered morbidly obese. And what that means is that your weight is now likely to start causing health problems. BMIs below 40 obviously can cause health problems too. Like I said, you can feel bulletproof for a long time, and then all of a sudden you hit 50, and all right. of a sudden you're obese, your knees hurt, your buddy's telling you your testosterone's low. Yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah, feel you like you have all, much all energy, etc. Et right. Stacked on top of each other. Right, right. And again, it's just one of those things that's worth paying attention to and recognizing that yes, we like sweet tea. Yeah. But you can't <laughs> you can't drink thirty two ounces of it a day right. because that's gonna catch up with you. Yeah. And there are some things it's not your fault in a lot of respects because food it has not been good for quite some time and good food is not necessarily healthy food. Right. And there are also some easy changes you can oftentimes make to start to make some headway on it. Yeah. If you do find yourself being overweight or obese. Do you think it's harder for men to discuss weight concerns than women? I think it can be certainly because I, I think that we are not necessarily, again, it depends on the person, but not necessarily yeah. held up to the same standards. There's like a romanticization of the dad bod, right? you know, (laughs) the whole dad bod culture. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a real balance, right? Because I think that it's, if you find that you're in the middle of a stressful environment with work and with home and all that, and and you feel like you're letting yourself go that you don't need to flog yourself about it, but you also need to recognize that carrying around extra weight can really be unhealthy for you. And especially in a state where there's a lot of families that have been here for a long time and there's a lot of family history of heart disease, et cetera, you can only outrun your family history for so long. So one of the best things you can do to prevent the same health problems that your father might've had or his father are really maintain a healthy weight and avoid unhealthy habits. You brought up something interesting too, that if you're under 18.5 in your BMI, you're considered underweight. I think we don't talk about that a lot. 
We talk a lot about people being overweight, needing to lose weight and get down to a healthy weight, but there's certainly a sect of the population who need to get up to a healthy weight too, right? Oh, sure. That can be just as, if not more stressful for that segment of the population as well, just because it can be really hard. And there's some allowance made for body type and such, but there are certainly, there are eating disorders among guys. Sure, yeah. People find that hard to believe, but there's what we call exercise anorexia, where you may be eating quote unquote normally, but you're exercising uh, to the point that it offsets that, that you need to be eating twice as much. Oh as you're yeah. Eating, right? Okay. And so you're restricting calories. Well, and you don't just want to gain weight to gain weight. You want to gain healthy weight or build muscle. Right. Right. right exactly. And so yeah. then do you see a lot of guys turning to supplements and I think the rise of places like GNC and things like that, people are just filling themselves up to just pack on muscle. What's your stance on that? Or what would you tell people? I think that a lot of that stuff is somewhat faddish. And, yeah. and so it'll go away or come and go over time. I think that within a very regimented diet and exercise program, some of those supplements perhaps have a place for athletes, more elite athletes. Yeah. I think that for the average person, most of those supplements, the only predictable result is that it drains your wallet. Right. (laughs) Because they tend to be pretty expensive. And all of that said, I am 100% supportive of people taking care of themselves and doing what they believe is helpful. I think though that remember that a lot of those supplements aren't regulated. And so there are a lot of risks that are perhaps not well advertised with, with some of those. I think that you also have to remember that our egos are relatively easy to prey on. We all want to feel like we're still 18 and that we are still bulletproof. And so anything that advertises itself as helping us to be that, Mm -hmm. it's easy for us to fall prey to that. A lot of those like pre-workout supplements and things like that, they have a lot of stimulants in them and caffeine. Yes, they do. I mean, can those have harmful effects on your heart or on your... Well, yes. Over time, they absolutely can. I have certainly had a handful of patients who come in with high blood pressures and you investigate a little bit of what they're doing and what they're eating and such. And you find that they're probably causing their own high blood pressure with some of the supplements that they're taking. I think that reading those ingredient lists, you get (laughs) cross-eyed and it's hard to know exactly what's in them. And it's just worth being careful. Well, I think that's probably an important point to make to listeners that those are also things that you need to be reporting to your doctor when they ask you for a list of what you're taking. Because that's something that's probably easily just honestly overlooked. You don't think that's not a medication. You didn't get it from a pharmacy. I imagine people don't report, oh, yeah, I take a BCAA or this pre-workout. Right, right. And I certainly, I think you're more inclined to ask some patients than others, right? If you have somebody who, you know, is a big time CrossFitter or something like that and comes in all bulky, then you ask them, yeah. But there's a lot of people who take them who you wouldn't think to ask and they wouldn't think to necessarily yeah. report it. They can cause all sorts of issues. I hope you've been enjoying this conversation with Dr. Eli Pendleton. Join us again next week to finish the discussion about men's health. You won't want to miss the health tips by decade. So be sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss it. And if you like what you've heard today, send this episode to a friend. We'll see you next time on Health Talks Now. Thanks for tuning in to Health Talks Now. Staying healthy is a lifelong commitment, and Baptist Health can provide the support you need to lower your risks, 
improve your quality of life, and protect your long-term health. Visit BaptistHealth.com to hear our other podcasts, learn about our services, and find more tips to help you stay a step ahead of your health. Baptist Health. Be a healthier you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist Health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com.